Hello and welcome to the New to Canada podcast, the show that shares honest, real-life stories and insider info from internationals living in Canada. I am your host, Kate Malcolm, and I made the big move from England to Canada in 2017 after falling in love with a Canadian. Since then, I've launched the Newcomer Collective, home of this podcast, as well as the New to Canada Academy, the step-by-step online video course that guides you through everything you need to build a new life in Canada that you love. You can learn more at thenewcomercollective.com. Join me on this show as I chat with fellow newcomers and learn all about where they are from in the world, why they chose Canada as their new home, and the lessons they've learnt along the way. It's great to have you. Newcomers often arrive in Canada full of confidence that they'll soon find a job in their field and thrive in their new home. Unfortunately, it isn't always that simple. The Canadian job search can be notoriously challenging and many immigrants suddenly find themselves doubting their experience and skills. This episode's guest, Brenda from Kenya, is here to remind us of everything we can offer employers and how we should never lose sight of the value we bring from overseas. Because first of all, you come to this country, you have a lot of expectation. There's something tells you that I'm going to get this job. It's going to be all right. Then everything turns 360. You start second guessing yourself. Your self-esteem goes down. You, you're mentally stressed because already you don't feel like you matter. Financially, now it has even affected you. So by nothing else, it, it gets to a point you're like, why am I even bothering? But I, by meeting people from Kenya, by meeting other people who had moved from the States, really, really helped me understand, oh, it's just a system. It's just one of those barriers. It's just a systematic issues. And there are some things I also had to learn about the Canadian system so that I'm able to integrate. Brenda was born in Nairobi, Kenya, and left to study in the United States, where she lived for 18 years, before eventually moving to Toronto in 2016. She discusses with us the African immigrant experience, as well as her struggle with loneliness when she first arrived here. Her bubbly personality is about to make your day. So let's start the show. This episode is brought to you by SciMood. It's not easy to talk about your mental health issues in your first language. Imagine in a second language and with someone who doesn't understand your cultural background. SciMood is the first platform in North America focused on offering mental health support based on language and cultural background, with over 660 specialists speaking over 40 languages. Newcomers report poorer mental health than Canadians. Only 12% of these struggling immigrants who seek out help find it. And within this group, only two-fifths found it culturally appropriate. SciMood is the solution. SciMood is made and built by a multicultural Canadian group of people who are part of a first or second generation of newcomers or immigrant families. Go to SciMood.com. Choose your specialist and book up to three free intake sessions to find the perfect fit for you. That's psymood.com, psymood.com. Now back to the show. Hello. 
Hello, Brenda. Hello, Kate. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> hey, me too. I'm so excited. We've met in person in Toronto, and I love your podcast. And I'm so excited that you're here on my show. And I'm super excited to chat with you. You're a wonderful ball of energy, and I'm really, really excited. Thank you so much. I, I and I had I had a great time meeting you at uh, was it in Toronto that we met for the summer event? Yes. That was a very, very great event, meeting you, meeting other immigrants. Yeah. I had a, a good time. And you know what? You're one of my best podcasters, so I'm happy to be oh. here. <laughs> I am so, 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 what's the word? Um, flattered. That's amazing. <laughs> so how are you? Keeping busy? What have you been up to this week? God, I've just been working. I don't do well when it's cold, so I never get out. So all I do is go out, come back. I try to travel and go see my family. So that's my plan for only about two, three weeks. We'll see how it goes. Um, oh, I know. How, yeah, because how has it been with Kenya throughout this whole thing? Has it been challenging to get home for the last couple of years or...? It was, it was okay. Let me say it, it was more stricter in North America than in Kenya. When you got on the ground, the protocols were still there. There were still some mandates out there, but it got to a point people were just kind of mellow. I think one thing I noticed when I traveled back home, the anxiety was less. There's too much anxiety mm. in North America about COVID, but I back agree. home it was like, Oh my God, COVID is here, but let's leave. I agree. Yes. And it's the same with the UK. I could not believe it. It was like a weight lifted almost, wasn't it? Like you feel this crushing doom and the news and it's all everyone talks about. And it's a horrible, horrible thing. I'm not denying it, but it was just, it was so different. Even in the UK, they kind of just decided to, to live life and to enjoy the time that they have every day and not talk about it. And everyone kind of moved on so much sooner than Canada. I think it's only just really getting to that stage now. Oh yeah. I, I, and I like the word that you used, weight, the weight. Mm. I, I felt it as soon as I got to Nairobi, Kenya, I was like, yeah. You know, there, there's some kind of sanity, nothing against North America, but that's how I felt. And I just loved being there. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, that's all I can say. I don't know how to explain it better. <laughs> no, I totally agree. It's funny. It's the same way in the UK. And you just came back. You just got married this year too, yeah? I did. Yes, I, we were there in the summer to get married. And then, yeah, I'm back again. I can't really go too long without seeing my family, so... I mean, I'm fortunate, right? It's only like a seven hour flight. It's not, not too bad. So how long is yours? Oh my God. Don't even say it. So oh usually no. it's multiples. Like, yeah, I know it's like an eight hour flight and a layover somewhere and then another seven, eight hours. So we're Oof. talking about 16 hours in flight. Oh so, my gosh. Uh, and I usually, I used to go actually through a Heathrow airport, but man, that airport is huge and busy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I know. And you always get the gate that's like Z. <laughs> so it's like the furthest walk. It's like a 45 minute walk to the gate Z because it's like the last of the alphabet. And so you're just walking for hours, it feels like. Yeah, get your steps in, put your watch on. <laughs> uh, that's what I say. Every time you ever go through Heathrow, make sure you have a longer layover because you're going to be walking and walking. That's what Yeah, you always just see people running, don't you? And you just think, oh, your poor soul. It's yeah. terrible. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely would never take that for granted, you know, to have a direct flight that's, you know, seven, eight hours and I'm there. And I'm fortunate enough that I live, you know, an, an hour's train from 
London as well, which is amazing because, you know, even some people in the UK, it's like you fly to London and you've got to travel to the north or wherever you're from. So, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Well, thanks again for coming on the show. Let's chat about Kenya. Where in Kenya did you grow up? What was it? What was it like? I was born in Kenya in the 70s. I was born in Nairobi, Kenya, which is the capital city. Until sometime in my high school, we ended moving to the rural, rural areas in Kenya. So all my schooling, my primary and high school was done in Kenya. Loved my childhood, loved the estate that we lived in, and then transitioning to another place. That was a, a bit of a challenge for me because I was not used to the norms, the culture, but I ended up adjusting very, very well. And, um, what can I say about my childhood? Um, I just love being the, being a child in Kenya. That's all I can say. Just going outside, playing with friends. No worry in the world. We didn't have any toys. We didn't have any computers. We made up our games. Uh, we sorted our mess as kids. Um, we, we, we made our own toys, basically. I, all I can remember, and I don't think nowadays I'm very afraid of falls. I remember I used to jump over a wall that I don't know how high it was and there was always glass on top of the wall of security, but I was always able to jump and go play with my kids. Because <laughs> when we grew up in the 90s, most of our, especially where I lived in, the houses were kind of fenced with the, either a wall or some kind of fencing that had glass, obvious to, to deter burglars, theft and all that stuff. And most parents were like, you're not going outside to play. Well, we had to find a way to go outside and play. Just hopping over these security walls. Wow. So James Bond over Oh, there. yeah. So I still have a lot of marks on my knees. Oh, really? <laughs> I do. I do. That playtime was worth it. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, which is very weird as a grown-up. So was that in a city? Was it built up or what What was it like? A big, like a busy neighborhood or? It was a busy neighborhood. It was um, a middle-class neighborhood. Uh, everything looked the same. The houses all looked the same the way they were. Uh, obviously, over years, it's been over 30 years, things have changed a lot in that neighborhood. Uh, parents, um, the community was all together. One thing I want to say about Kenya is that we have a lot of uh, different languages. Um, it, I think we are over 40 or 50. I can't remember how many ethnic groups we are in Kenya, but we all lived the, in these estates. Uh, and this is where most of our parents came to work, built their families. So some of them were working in the city. Uh, we used to take buses. I remember walking to school. Uh, and I know there's always that thing about Kenyans running, even as a kid. Because our parents, most parents generally did not have uh, have cars. Uh, some, yeah, some did have the cars. But even if your parents had a car, they made you walk yeah. <laughs> and they made you run. So I was always running to school. Um, my my dad, I, I was blessed. My dad had a car, so he would take us to school on his way to work. But lunchtime. I had to run like 15 minutes running home, come and eat my lunch for 15 minutes and go back to school running again for 15 minutes. <laughs> so you can imagine we were brought up with that um, culture of just running, running. And even in school, if teachers punished you during my time, 
most of them punished you by telling you to run in the uh, what do you call it like the running field at school mm, like the track oh my gosh and then it's not hot it's not cold there you're you're running in heat oh my god yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would not survive I could not I, I hate being too hot and yeah to exercise in the heat even in Canada when it's like 30 degrees and people are running I think you are crazy like why are you running in the heat <laughs> oh my god <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's awesome. I love what you said about the community as well, because I read that, you know, obviously Kenyans, you're just known as being so energetic and happy and kind and welcoming. And I read that it's because you spend a lot of time with family, obviously, but also with the community at large. You get brought up by everyone around you as a child. Would you say that's accurate? Oh God, it's, it's very, very accurate. And I remember even growing up as a child, uh, if you did anything wrong, Another parent either could address it, a neighbor could address it. If you got sick, another parent could could address it or take care of you. And a good example is I remember when I was young, I happened to be playing around with uh with some stones and somebody hit me very hard on my head and I was bleeding, gushing. And mind you, all the parents in the estate had left, had gone to work. So they were grown-ups, but the grown-ups that were there were really not parents. Maybe they were like house managers or aunties and all that. And this parent found me, this is not my parent, this parent found me gushing. My head was oozing blood. She looked at me. She had just come from work with her handbag. She went and put her stuff in her house, came out, took me. Mind you, she didn't have a car. We were only taking buses then. Put me in a bus, took me to a hospital, made sure that I was intended to, and brought me home. And I want to remind you, this was in the 90s where phone calls, there were no cell phones. So obviously somebody, I know, just disappeared. So somebody must have told my uh, my mom, oh, uh, so-and-so took her to the hospital, came back. This parent talked to my, my mom and said, oh, this is what happened. These are the medications, blah, blah, blah. She's okay now. So there's a lot of that community yeah. living. Um I'm sad to say sometimes because of westernization that is changing, but to a certain level, we still do it. We still do love it. If, if, for example, one of us is very sick, even here in the diaspora, if you're a Kenyan, as soon as you hear you're sick or there's something that someone needs, we don't even like knowing what's, what's, what's happening. We just pick up and go Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. just help yeah yeah Yeah, I think have you found it to be quite different here then obviously in North America it can be quite an individualistic society where people kind of have their own goals and they stick with themselves and obviously that group mentality isn't as as strong over here have you found that to be be a big difference um I've really really struggled and that is something I have never gotten over. I cannot tell mm. you how many times, like summer times, you know, we have beautiful summer times here in Canada. And I like taking a walk and I cannot, I always ask myself, how come there's, there are no people outside? What are people doing inside their homes like 24 hours? <laughs> yeah. Or just the whole idea. I walk outside, I say hi to somebody and that's it. Hi, hi. And no one like, how's your day? What's going on? I, I, I know I personally struggle. So that part for me mm. is very, very difficult. Um, sometimes I have to learn to embrace it. I try to make my own friends because again, it can be a lonely society if you're not careful. Definitely. And, and that's for absolutely everyone, let alone from someone from Kenya where you have that community and that group, you know, feel. So 
Yeah, it's it's interesting. I think I'm used to it more because it's quite similar in the UK. Like, I think I had this conversation in another episode where you like sit on the train and no one has eye contact and you're just avoiding everyone (laughs) or you're in the elevator and it's so awkward. It's very weird, isn't it? Like, I would love to have grown up and, and be more used to that where it's like, hey, how's it going? Nice to meet you. Where are you heading to? And I think my husband as a Canadian actually is really extroverted in that way. And he's kind of brought me out of my shell a bit. But um yeah, it is different here for sure. It's it's very different because every time I go back home, I I might be on the street, I might be in the market, but we're just talking with whoever is there and we're talking about different things. You might be a person who lives by themselves, but by the end of the day, you have talked to so many people and we still have a culture where we still don't have to tell people that I'm coming. Mm. So like I'd go to my neighbor's house. I just go. If she's eating a banana, we share, we talk. I'm there for an hour, two hours, same thing. Um, and then another norm in our Kenyan culture is always to give people something. Yeah. So and in return, they also give you something. It's not something that's mandated. It's just, it's a way of showing love and respect and friendliness. Uh, and that I still struggle sometimes when I go to either a Canadian or an American family. And I feel, okay, what should I take for them? You know, <laughs> I need to bring gifts. <laughs> Oh my god. And it's so sad almost too like you could live in an apartment building and not even know who your neighbors are here. So, yeah, it's very different. Yeah. I think, you know, that's why I love the newcomer community and especially in Toronto because you can have you met other people from Kenya that live in the city or or other immigrants that have that culture like I know South America, you know, Latino people, they are very open and very, you know, community driven as well. So, have you found you know, I, th- I feel like immigrants would fill in that gap. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, th- there's something about the Kenyan culture because of being living in that village uh, closeness. Even when you're moving to a different country, there's always that question we ask, do you know someone there? So like the, when I first came here, I had to ask, do you know someone in Canada? And a friend of mine had a sister here and I ended up to moving to North Bay and lived with her for a few months. And I wanted to move to Toronto. I connected with another friend who connected me to her cousin. So we, we have that kind of support. So there's always a community. So even me getting here in Toronto, I found a Kenyan community. I have friends. I have people that I, 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 I talk to, uh, have fun times with and, Especially in Toronto, there's a very big Kenyan community. Oh, awesome. Yeah, you'll have to share some places to eat authentic Kenyan food. Have you found good places in Toronto or has it been a challenge? No, it's it's been a challenge. I just know one place in Hamilton. Uh, maybe I'll share the address with you and give it to you. <laughs> yes. Yeah, or we're just all coming to your house and you'll just cook for us. <laughs> <laughs> I don't Ugali! Know. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Have you ever eaten Ugali? <laughs> no, I haven't, but it, I, I looked it up and it looks delicious. I was like, what food do you eat in Kenya? Oh, that sounds so good. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Well, back to Kenya. We'll go back to your story. We kind of jumped the gun a little bit. It's so interesting. Um, but yeah, with, with Kenya, obviously when we think of Kenya, we think safaris, right? One of the world's leading safari destinations. You've got the big five and you've got the marine big five as well, which is so cool. Have you, I, I'm interested. Have you, have you been on a safari yourself? You know, it's funny as, and I'm sure you've said this in your podcast, especially as an immigrant, you, you never know, never know how much your country is worth in terms of the, the worth of the country and what it offers. But grow, yeah. just to answer your question, growing up, one of the things I'm thankful for 
with the education system when I was growing up, we usually, they used to take us to all these trips, the national park, historical parks. So we got to know our country that way. I am so grateful because I learned so much. So, and one of the things that I have learned as an immigrant is how much I need to know my country more. So Kate, last year I decided, and I might be biased on this, that I will invest in visiting my country more. Yeah. I am I'm not even investing in other countries at this time. Amazing. So this <laughs> So early this year in January, actually I took a safari to Masai Mara, which is one of the biggest uh, national parks in Kenya for three days. Wow. It was wonderful, wonderful, wow. wonderful. Oh my so gosh. lions, I- elephants. It's literally number one on my bucket list and, and it has been for my whole life. And I, I do say this for every episode. Oh, it's been, I need to go. I really want to go. But honestly, like Safari, I grew up watching The Lion King. I was obsessed with The Lion King. I watched it every single day. And I just think to be in that, that level of nature, just untouched, I just think I would cry, cry tears down my face. I, I just, yeah, I need to go. I need to go. So, well, that's so interesting though, because it's so true. You don't realize what your country has to offer until you leave. And then everyone's like, Oh my gosh, you're from Kenya. Have you been on safaris? Have you done this? And you think, no, actually crap. I did not take advantage of my beautiful place. I lived my whole life. It's crazy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I, 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 as I said, um, for Kenya, there's a lot to see. We have a lot of uh, national parks. There's Mombasa, which is uh, near the Indian Ocean. People go there for tourism. Yeah. Paradise. I saw photos of that. Oh, amazing. But it's a city as well. It's built up. So there's, you know, businesses and restaurants and things to do. But then you have literally like crystal clear like Indian Ocean <laughs> paradise as yeah. well. Yeah. I have a brother who lives in Mombasa. Ah, but I can't. I, I go visit him and man, that place is hot. It's humid. Oof. It's humid. When I talk about humidity, that's the place to be. <laughs> I, I go there for one day. I'm like, I have two days. I'm like, I, I can't stay in Mombasa. <laughs> and he comes back to the city where he was born and he says it's cold. So I always find that to be very, very funny. <gasps> Saying it's cold. And then you say, I live in Canada. Like, yeah. get a grip. <laughs> like, that's cold. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's oh, so yeah. Funny. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so if you were to visit Kenya for the first time, what are kind of the main places that you would say are just absolute must go tos? I think uh, obviously in the national parks is one. Mm-hmm. I would suggest for somebody to do different things in different cities because what I realized with our nation, uh, our nation Kenya, is that every part of the country offers different things. And I can mm-hmm. talk about where I come from, which is more central. This is where you find a lot of coffee, a lot of tea. So you will find acres and acres of tea farms, beautiful green. Uh, and it's good to take a visit to some of these coffee, uh, coffee and tea farms just to see what kind of products they make make and all that stuff uh what else well that's interesting too i read that you you know kenya's ranked one of the i think it's the third largest producer of coffee but only three percent of that coffee is drank by the locals you don't like coffee over there but (laughs) you're tea people i can tell you i was brought up in kenya i saw coffee i never drank coffee in kenya (laughs) never wow but I, i I look back, I, I was trying to, I'm not saying everyone was like me, but most people uh, I noticed never really drank tea, uh, coffee. We drank a lot of tea. 
And I don't know for me, I think there was uh, uh, something that was ingrained in my head that coffee is not a good thing. So maybe that's how I uh, I decided not to take coffee. Mm. Um, I'm not saying it's bad. It's just I think some somebody said something and that was it for me. And so I've, we've always drunk co- uh, tea. And, and in Kenya, when you come, it's uh, culturally, we always give you a cup of tea. Is it chai? Chai tea? Yeah, yeah. What people call chai, which is tea with milk and, and some mm. sugar. So, yeah, yeah. It, we always will give you tea. So if you just abruptly or without saying and show up in someone's house, they'll offer you tea. Yeah, that's very, you know, we do the same in England. So there you go. <laughs> we have something in common. We're tea givers. Mm-hmm. And you know, and Kenya was uh, colonized by the British. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I wonder if that has a uh, no. But I think well, obviously we stole tea from so many places. So, that's, <laughs> <laughs> but there you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. Do you? So, what do you think of coffee now? Has has moving to Canada changed that for you, or you're still a, a chai a chai girl? I'm still a chai girl. It uh, coffee smells good, but I still it hasn't still no, doesn't do it for you. Yeah, it doesn't. But like you said, the statistics show most of the coffee goes outside the country. But for me, I still I'm still a chai girl. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love it. So you have lived in Canada since 2016. Tell us about your story of what brought you to Toronto. How did that decision come about? So this, I think this is a place I never mentioned to you, Kate. Mm. I left in Kenya in 1996. In 1996, when I left Kenya, this, um, I was just, I just finished high school. And most of us people who never got A's or B's could not be taken to any kind of university in Kenya. So there was a big exodus of my age mates getting out of Kenya to other countries to go study. So my first stop was in the United States. Mm. So I went to the U.S. I was there for about 18 years. Uh, I pursued my education. Um, long story short, uh, eventually I had to look for a stable place to live in. And that's how I ended up in, uh, in Canada in 2016. So you went to the U.S. first. I, I feel like that's always everyone's kind of first idea, isn't mm-hmm. it? And then they realize that the, maybe it was it the immigration pathway that, that made you kind of move more towards Canada. I find that that's quite a trend in, in a lot of immigrants. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I am going to say that for sure. One of the things, and I'm sure you've talked, like you said, you've talked to so many immigrants. The, there are a lot of pathways in Canada, and that's how most of us ended up here. And I visited Canada two times before that. And, and also, I, I loved the culture. I liked the feel. I liked how people were friendly, more friendlier in Canada. Um, and that's how I ended up here and settled since 2016. Oh, amazing. So was Toronto always your top choice? I know you mentioned, so you had a friend that was in North Bay. So that was an easy, you know, get, getting your feet on on the ground and uh, having someone that you know there, which is great. I love that. So uh, how did you find North Bay, but you just had Toronto in your brain uh, for your end goal? You know, one of the things when you're Googling a place and you really don't know, the first step is you, you do Google search, but you really don't know. Uh, I had talked to the people and they had told me North Bay is more of a laid back place. So I, I, I am, I'm very, I'm an introvert. So I didn't mind where I was going. 
But I went to North Bay. I felt like it was a dead town. Sorry, North Bayans, <laughs> but I just, it was too slow for me. But I think. It was beautiful, it, but boy. Yeah, <laughs> it was beautiful. It was also a nice slow, which I found would be good for uh, people who are very stable in their life, who had good career, a good career or even retirement, something like that. But somebody like me who was a newcomer trying to build a footing, like one of the challenges that I found that I could not find a job. Mm-hmm. I really, really struggled. I'm like, okay, it's time to start thinking outside the box. And so I decided to connect with a friend. I came and visited. I'm like, okay. I lived in Boston, so Boston was a busy, busy town. I'm like, okay, this kind of feels like Boston. This looks like a place I can look for jobs. And then one of the things in Toronto, the migrant population was big. So I felt at home. Yeah. I was like, okay, I I think I can fit in here. So I started looking for ways to get into Toronto and to start looking for jobs in Toronto. Wow. Because it's always so interesting, isn't it? The small city versus large city debate, because you think, you know, you hear all of these stories about how challenging it really is to find a a job and to build a career here. It is such a challenge for for everyone that's new to this country. I I stand by that. It's really challenging. And there's so many hurdles that really don't need to be there. And there's a lot of work to Mm -hmm. be done. Um, But you think sometimes, oh, well, maybe a small town there's less competition. So, you know, maybe there's, you know, there's more opportunity in a way because I'm new and there's going to be less job seekers. Mm -hmm. And then when you go to a big city, there's all these newcomers all looking for jobs. Um, But then obviously there's more opportunities. So it's really hard to know. But um, yeah, that community thing is, is so key. It's much easier to find your people because it's so diverse. You can, you can find people easier for sure. And and I think for me, what also helped when I got to Canada, because I was like, uh, and I'm sure you faced that as somebody who came from uh, London and somebody like me who came from the US, you come with this mentality that it's just going to be an easy transition because you have the experience, you know, English, you're educated, you have all these things in your bag that you're like, I'm all set. I'm just going to fit in. Then you come, you're like, whoa, what is happening? I'm like a real outsider. And at first I was really, really shocked. And it got to a point I'm like, okay, maybe I need to go to school again to school and start over because you're very confused. But I, by meeting people from Kenya, by meeting other people who had moved from the States, really, really helped me understand, oh, it's just the system. It's just one of those barriers. It, it's just a systematic issues. And there are some things I also had to learn about the Canadian system so that I'm able to integrate. And one of the things I remember after so many, so many application, applications I was applying, I was submitting all these um, resumes and no one was calling me. I'm like, how bad can I be writing a resume? Like, how bad is my resume? You know? <laughs> I know. That's what I was about to say. It really does trick you into losing sight of your value. I say this all the time on Instagram. You know, we have so much to offer as newcomers. The fact that we've packed up our entire lives and moved across the world and we're adapting to all of this change. And, you know, we are so brave and courageous and out there. And, you know, we have experience from our home countries and, you know, we have different languages that we speak. And there's just so many things that we offer. And you sometimes fall into the trap of you're just like, oh, well, I have no Canadian work experience. No one cares about me. No one's reading my resume. Oh, I need to go back to school and start from mm-hmm. scratch. And I, you know, I'm worth nothing here. And it's really sad that that's the case. And it happens to so many newcomers. But, um, yeah, it just takes some time to kind of re- remember your value and, um, 
to just to just adapt to yeah like you said the systems that they have here and the ats resume scanners and all of that so Yeah. <laughs> yeah it, it, for me, it actually took somebody who has been here and actually worked in HR. She's like, nothing, there's nothing wrong with your resume. There's nothing wrong with your experience. You don't have to go to school. All I, and she helped me just like you're saying, the yeah. ATS, the language and all that stuff. And I remember actually, uh, cause it, I had worked in behavioral health in the U.S. for over 18 years. So talk about experience. I had the experience and I felt, you know, wow, so. Yeah. I went for an interview one time and in this interview, the person interviewed me, looked at my resume, the interview went well, and they were very open with me after the interview. And I think if I felt like they were able to tell me this because they were also an immigrant and they knew the challenges and they knew I did not mind the feedback. They told me, Brenda, we can tell by your resume, you're very qualified, you understand things. But we'll have to change your language in the way Canadians want to hear things. Mm. So that for me was a wake up call uh, that, okay, I need to learn the way things are done here, said here in order to fit in. But I'm always very, very, very grateful for that one manager who took a chance at me because it opened a lot of doors for me. Um, and now I'm learning the Canadian experience. Yeah, I think that's so valuable. And it's something that recruiters don't do because you know, they don't want to be liable for upsetting anyone or saying the wrong thing. And, you know, feedback after an interview is so valuable, especially for immigrants. And you just don't get it because they're just too scared to give it to you. And it's always worth asking, you know, if you don't hear back from someone and, you know, chase them and keep saying that you're interested and you're enthusiastic about the role. And if you have any feedback, if you don't get the role, but yeah, most of the time they don't, they don't offer yeah. it. So yeah, that was very mm -hmm. lucky. Very. Yeah. Another thing is that, yeah, like there's so many resources for job seeking in Canada that I think a lot of people just don't realize, you know, is out there. You said that you, you were fortunate enough to have a friend that, that offered that experience and, and insight to you. But, um, yeah, there's so many other resources and, you know, like we've got Canada Infonet. I've had her on the podcast. I, I work for Devant, which is a fantastic organization. They help international students. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, there's so many things you just have to Google it, you know, webinars on careers, you know, resume writing and they're all, it's all free. It's all funded by IRCC. Uh, you just got to know what to look for, but it is all out there, um, to help you. It's just, yeah, the adjustment period is, is a challenge. And, and I think Kate, the, the other thing I found with my own experience and maybe is the experience of many migrants and that's why we don't even, uh very when we don't go seeking for these resources is because first of all you come to this country you have a lot of expectation there's something tells you that i'm gonna get this job it's gonna be all right then everything turns 360 you start second guessing yourself your self-esteem goes down you you're mentally stressed because already you don't feel like you matter financially now it has even affected you So by nothing else, it, it gets to a point you're like, why am I even bothering? And that's why maybe even people get to a point, they know those resources are out there um, and they don't either reach out or they reach out. Ex I remember when I was reaching out to one of the resources and my expectation was for this um, person to help me uh, with my resume and, and, and with the whole process. And it got to a point I said, listen, <laughs> I, I have done the resume like a hundred times. 
I need someone to make me understand what the Canadian experience deserves. And, and this person looked at me and like, okay, Brenda. So they connected me to a mentorship program. So mm. I, all I'm just saying is that I think the stress with the process also has something to do with it. And yeah, because it's only one part of the whole thing, isn't it? Your career is one part. You've got housing, you've got, you know, culture, you've got the winter season to deal with, you've got, you know, your driving license, you've got getting the kids into school, you've got so many other things going on. So yeah, it's just a small piece of the pie. It's like, oh, yeah, do this, do this work and get this resume done and go to these webinars. But you know, there's so much else going on as well. So yeah, it's a stressful time. So just, um, yeah, just, I think the, the biggest danger is just not just thinking like what you were saying that you're failing at it and that it's not going to plan and everything's going wrong. And it's not, it's just that literally is the pathway that people follow over and oh. over again. Everyone, you know, some people come here and it does fall into place and that's fantastic. And, but I would say confidently the majority of us struggle at some point and it's just a natural part of it. So yeah, I think it's very easy for us to blame ourselves and think, Oh, what's the point? This isn't working out, but it is working out. It's just going the path that it was supposed to go and it'll get, you'll get there in the end. So yeah, you yeah. will, you will. Yeah. I'm definitely going to list some resources. We're talking about resources and not really sharing the resources. So I'm going to list some in the show notes just for anyone listening. If you are interested in any of these webinars and things we're talking about, I'll just put a little list in the show notes for you as well. Um, and I've got blog posts and other podcast episodes on it. So. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. That would be good. And I also want to say just going through those challenges is also not a bad thing because it, it, it helps you build a spirit of resiliency, resi being resilient. And you also get to know who you are and your values. It, it's almost like a testing ground. And it also opens your eyes to so many things that you could do. I remember when I left the US, I, there's a certain thing I wanted to do when I came to Canada. And because of what I, I was frustrated about, I started opening my eyes to other things. And that's what I'm trying to pursue right now. So again, challenges are not all that bad just have to know like you know just adjust take them some of them you'll live some of them will make you cry some of them will make you laugh but grow from the from the experience yeah absolutely and that's an amazing segue you said resiliency let's chat about your podcast the resilient the resilient migrant podcast. the resilient migrant mm -hmm. yes and yes yeah, so you host your own podcast tell us all about it you've been doing it for just over a year now yes where, where can people listen? So my podcast, The Resilient Migrant Podcast, is on all podcast platform, Apple's, um, Google Podcasts, Spotify, any kind of platform. And before I even talk about my podcast, I've always, like you, Kate, I've always had a passion of immigrant stories. Mm. I think for me, there, there are two reasons I started this uh, podcast. Because of my own personal experience, I have a story. I'm very... Uh, uh, what do you, what's the word you use when you're very, it's, it's in my heart. Yeah. It's in my heart. And I also want to advocate for, be an advocate for immigration. Um, mm. and I think one, my, my podcast is for African immigrants and people might say, and somebody has asked me, why specifically African immigrants? Because I'm an immigrant. I'm an African immigrant and I can only talk about some of the experiences. And every time 
I talk to Africans. We have similar stories. Um, and it always yeah. amazes me uh, how we, uh, our cultures connect, even when we migrate as uh, in other countries. And I think one of the other frustrating things for me is I, I get so tired <laughs> and when I tell people where I am from and they're like, where is Kenya? Like, they have no idea. So I'm like, ah, oh my God. basic geography. I know where London is. I know where. So that kind of got me. I'm like, okay, it's time for me just to talk about African immigrants. Yeah. And it's a huge continent with so many countries. So, you know, the different cultures. And like you said, even in Kenya itself, you have over 60 languages. You know, it's so diverse over there. So I think you'd never run out of different people to meet and stories to tell. I think that's amazing. Mm. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. So... What would you say has been kind of the most resonating story or, or guest that you've had or, you know, a lesson that you've learned through someone else that you've had on the podcast? What would you pass on to another newcomer that, that you've learned through your show? Oh, my God. I think it's a bunch of stories for all the people I have interviewed. Mm. Everyone brings something valuable. Everyone brings something. And I wanted people to speak about when I started my podcast, how the immigration story impacts people on an individual level and on a family level. So one of the things in my podcast I've been trying to do is bring different family members in, in my podcast. So like I have in, in two different podcasts, a dad and a, and a daughter. And just to talk about how that experience changed them as a family and as an individual, there's one that I, I interviewed uh, a, a gentleman who is who was deported. And we know as immigrants, we don't like talking about deportation. So for me, that was very big because that's a very vulnerable story as an immigrant. Yes. So for that individual, I interviewed him. And then a few months later, I interviewed uh, the wife. So how did that impact her? So I, I think for me, it's just how the whole immigrant story impacts people as a collective, because yeah. when you immigrate, you're not by yourself. Even if you're immigrating by yourself, like I did, I still have family in Kenya. There are things I miss about home. There are things I miss about my family. They, I left Kenya when I was young. My parents died when I was here as an immigrant. So those are the stories uh, I feel like people need to talk about the day to day, the good, the bad and ugly. So to answer your question, I don't think there's any one question, but I think the family stories are what always gets me. And I didn't want people to, um, when we, I was doing this, I just wanted people to be very authentic because I know I'm a Kenyan. I still have the Kenyan accent and people ask me why you've lived in North America for a long time. Why haven't you changed your, uh, your accent? And I'm like, I'm not changing. I'm, I, I, deep down, I'm still a Kenyan and I love it. Yeah. And just because it's different doesn't mean it's bad. <laughs> no. And it adds to the flavor yeah. of a country like Canada. Yeah. You need to have different accents. It'd be so boring if everyone was the yeah, same. Yeah, it oh, would. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it would. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, you said so many things there. I think the thing that stands out for me is, is stories. You're so right. And that's why I do this podcast. And I think, yeah, that's a really strong lesson to pass on to newcomers. The fact that you're here and you're listening to this episode just shows that you already know the value of it. But 
yeah, just go out and seek more stories and, and more experiences that other immigrants are sharing because that is where you can learn the most. Like you can sit in a webinar and, you know, read a blog post. But I think, you know, these podcasts that are being created, I'm so excited whenever I find them because, yeah, it's, it's so valuable to just hear it from the mouth of an immigrant and learn from that person and their experience. And yeah, I love what you said about the different viewpoints. Like you're getting a daughter, you're getting a father. It's different for everyone. Mm-hmm. So. Love that. You're welcome. Amazing. Well, finally, if there's any African listeners, what would you say specifically to an African immigrant about coming to Canada? I always say do your research first. Do your due diligence because every immigration policy pathway is different. Uh, but it's good to be in Canada. I personally love Canada. There's a lot of diversity, a lot of languages. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a country that welcomes people. So, Welcome, mm. reach out to podcasters, listen, just, I think all I want to say is do your homework, do your homework, um, and talk to people who are there. Cause going back to my story about my podcast, one of the things that people are very naive when they're moving to a different country is how much they don't research about the immigration pathway that they're getting into. And this is how you find sometimes families are divided. So all I want to go repeat it. Just do your research. What was your pathway specifically that you used? I used the express entry. Oh, okay. So you went straight for yeah. PR. Interesting. Mm-hmm. What did you do? Use Kate? Oh, I again, I, we were speaking about this before the call. I'm extremely privileged. I'm from the UK and it's part of the IEC mm-hmm. uh, work permit. So the International Experience Canada, it's very easy. You just fill out an application online and you get a two-year work permit. Um which, you know, is for a certain age group. There's different countries that are eligible, but very easy kind of first entrance into the, into Canada. And, in, and then you can build up your Canadian work experience with that work permit. And then it made my PR application, you know, so much easier. So yeah, we got it easy over here. So. <laughs> But, but that's why I'm saying it's very, that's why I'm saying it's very important to uh, do your research because I personally, d- I know we talked about it, but I don't know. I didn't ask you about the specifics. I've learned something new right now, just talking to you. Can you imagine somebody mm-hmm. who's not really done their homework? They won't understand that. So great. Nice to know that about you, Kate. Amazing. Oh, well, thank you so much, Brenda. This is a pleasure as I knew it would be. Thank you for your time. It's been wonderful. You're welcome. Thank you so much. And again, I will say I wouldn't have started my podcast if I was not listening to your podcast. I loved your podcast mm. and I still do. You and Oscar, I'm so sad that you stopped uh, recording. <laughs> I know. Travesty, Oscar, come <laughs> back. Know. We need to veto for him to come back. Your podcast <laughs> have re- really encouraged me and that's why I decided to I've always wanted to start a podcast, but by listening to both of you, man, you changed my life. Thank you so much, Kate. Oh, thank you. And yeah, it's, I didn't even think about that. You know, the impact that you can have on someone, you don't know what you're going to have an impact on or who you're going to have an impact on. So if you're thinking of doing anything, put yourself out there, just do it because yeah, it opens so many doors, especially in Canada. There's so much opportunity out there. And yeah, I think it's, it's changed my life, this, this project. I've met so many people from around the world and I'm just so happy I started it. I had no idea what I was doing or how I was going to keep doing it, but, um, here I am season four. And thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story because this wouldn't be possible without you. So thank you, Brenda. And I always like saying, 
uh, Asante Sana, which means thank you very much in Swahili. <gasps> I love that. And that's from The Lion King too. Asante Sana, squash banana. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so, so much for listening. It would mean the world to me if you could leave the show a quick review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening from. And if you're loving the show so far, recommend us to your friends. Spread word and help us grow this exciting community. Until next time. Bye.